I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Pelizzolo back here with Sam Monson. Conference championship week, Sam. We're going to preview the two games, but then talk a little offseason. We'll talk some of the big picture stuff, especially now that the Aaron Rodgers rumors are hot going to Denver because his offensive coordinator is now the head coach. Mm. So obviously that's what we need to talk about. The Sean Payton retirement, uh, the Sean Payton rumors with Dallas, all sorts of fun stuff to discuss. As far yeah, as the offseason goes. Two of the last three games of the NFL season. Assuming you're not counting the Pro Bowl, which I'm not. Oh, yeah. We're going to do a full in-depth Pro Bowl preview. Mm. We'll go player-by-player player profile. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, East-West Shrine game, Senior Bowl. So we're already at College All-Star Week and all that stuff. I mean, it never ends. Yeah. PFF guys down there now. The tailgate guys are over at the, the Shrine game. Vegas. So there's a pretty good chance they don't make it back ever. Yeah, right. Shrine uh, game. Up in, up in their game, trying to compete with the Senior Bowl. Yeah. Going Vegas. Vegas. Getting Eric Galco in there, running the show. Good stuff. I mean, look, the, the Senior Bowl, the draft starts at the Senior Bowl, that kind of stuff. On the other hand, Vegas, Mobile. You know, one's got a selling point the other doesn't have. Mobile Vegas, yeah. as they call it, mm. in Alabama. All right. You ready to preview these games? Let's go. You, uh, is this a uh, real question? Do, can we get some odds on this belt? hanging here for the entire show it and not will falling. stay there perfectly as long as you don't screw with the thing that's keeping it there our championship belt. like that well sometimes i like to grab it throw it over my shoulder you know that yeah well, sometimes i like to use it as a prop can't do that anymore all right well let's start with our afc preview it's the first game sunday afternoon bengals and chiefs can you believe we're here at the bengals at the beginning of the year would you uh, if i told you the bengals were going to be in the afc championship crazy yeah nuts <laughs> There's no reason that that should be the case. Um, and that's why, you know, Zach Taylor is, I think, the favorite for coach of the year because the thing is essentially just like, what is your preseason over-under win total and how, how much did you exceed that? And the Bengals exceeded it by a lot. They weren't supposed to be, I mean, maybe a playoff team, but not a team that was going to go on a run and get to the, the AFC Championship game. And the reason it's happened is because that connection of Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase is as potent in the NFL as it was in college, where those guys tore the the college landscape to pieces on their way to a national title. Chiefs are favored by seven, despite the Bengals beating the Chiefs. It was in Cincinnati, but yeah. it was in Week 17. The spread on that game was, I think, five, five and a half in that range. So um, Vegas believes the teams are a little bit closer together but at this point, but the Chiefs have that home field advantage this time around. I want to go back to the end of that Chiefs-Bengals game from week 17 and remember what happened the people the people thought that zach taylor was crazy they thought he was crazy he was doing crazy stuff 
It was what, 31 31? It was tied, whatever it was. At the end of the game, 29 29, whatever the game was. It was tied at the end. Bengals had the ball over two minutes left in the game, and they didn't want to score right away. And not only did they not want to score, they were not content with kicking a field goal. They were doing everything they could to not kick the go-ahead field goal and then give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. And knowing what we just saw this past weekend, Zach Taylor wasn't all that crazy. And then eventually the Bengals, they had a little bit of luck. They went for it on fourth down. They failed. They had a penalty on fourth down that gave them a fresh set of downs and allowed allowed them to run the clock out from about 50 seconds all the way down to three, kick the game-winning field goal. Patrick Mahomes never saw the ball in a comeback attempt in a game where Mahomes was good. You know, the Chiefs moved the ball extremely well, and the Chiefs were up two scores early in the game. So that's the other part of this. But the the end-of-the-game situation, How looking back now, how smart was that as far as what the Bengals did? And, uh, you know, is it going to come down to that? fine of a line here in this game yeah i mean i don't i don't think it was crazy at the time like they didn't want to score too soon they were deliberately sort of not getting in with the sneaks um with the the runs right up the middle and it was because you don't want to give Mahomes the ball with like 90 seconds left to work you don't apparently you don't want to give him the ball with 13 seconds left to work so absolutely try and drain as much of that clock as you can the two interesting parts of this game were the things you just brought up one that the Chiefs were up big. Like, they were up by a couple of scores a couple of times in the game. And then the Burrow to Jamar Chase thing took over, and they were able to execute that comeback. That, I think, is both – it's one of the – I don't know which way that cuts right this week, right? Because it shows that, A, Kansas City could easily start racking up some points and putting the Bengals in in an ugly hole. But it also shows that if they do that, Cincinnati are capable of that comeback. Um, You know, a lot like – not quite the same, but you remember a couple of years ago, the Chiefs were down like double digits every playoff game they played, and it was it was almost like they were better in that situation. Just being able to go, all right, screw conventional play. We're just going to put the ball in Mahomes' hand and let, let him go to work. That's kind of when, when the Bengals are at their best as well, when they go, all right, we're not running Joe Mixon anymore. It's time to just turn the ball over to Burrow and let him cook. Um, that's when they're at their best. And every time they needed a big play in this game, it was to Jamar Chase. I think that's, you know, it is, it shows why the spread is as wide as it is in this game because you can easily see a scenario where Kansas City does that again, puts the Bengals in a double digit hole. And then the question becomes, you know, does that burrow to chase thing still work? And they feel like they've been walking a tightrope for a while now of, you know, burrow's incredible play under pressure. And at some point, that feels like it has to run out. Incredible play under pressure, but still a lot of negative plays. Still the nine sacks, right? So what? That's interesting. What was that? That's that a piece of my chair. No, that's okay. I believe. I thought it was a piece of the belt. Nope. A piece of my chair just fell apart. No, I don't care about that. I mean, when you put a, um, a large man on a chair that's you know, this big, things might fall apart. <laughs> things might... Parts of the chair just start dropping off. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It happens sometimes. I mean, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I broke some, like, uh, antique chair at uh, my wife's stepdad's house one time. And he was – I just kind of leaned back, and the thing just went oh. cracked. And uh, he's like, yeah, we can replace it. Things yeah. like – You can't sit in antiques. Well, yeah, he should have known. You should have known. No, 
know. I didn't Man know. Was, I didn't size? know it was an antique. I thought it was just another normal chair. So it was just a chair. Yeah, I didn't know. He, you know, it's his chairs. They were. I don't know. They're worth a lot or something like that. Don't yeah. let. Well, they would be if they're antiques. Don't let a two hundred eighty pounder, two hundred seventy pounder, whatever I was, am. Don't let me sit in it. No. You can't, you can't mess with the antiques. Maybe I shouldn't have leaned back. But uh, if I fall, you know, you'll know. Yeah. What I mean, I think it's more about? likely that you just comically sink down, you know, in slow motion. <laughs> that would be funny. Which, which I think would be worth it. So I'm okay. Yeah. That was on purpose. Now I feel too low. And then anyway. I can't get it back up. What were we talking about? Out. What are we talking about? Just Burrow under out, pressure. Just tweeted out the uh, link. You're, Welcome you were, to YouTube, everybody. You were about to go like full analytics nerd and be like, yeah, but he's taking nine sacks, so he's bad. No, I'm just saying those are part of those are part of the negative plays. Yeah, and EPA matters in an uh, offensive evaluation. Yes, um, it does feel though. So Joe Burrow has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL under pressure this season, and in particular in those last couple of games. So the only quarterback ever to win a game, you know, since the merger, uh, to win a, a playoff game whilst being sacked nine times. That was crazy. And when you look at the game. It was so many of those plays, you know, sacks are one of those things that are a little bit on the quarterback, a little bit on the protection, and how much to sort of varies play to play. And that's part of what the PFF grading does is sort of correctly assign like where that dynamic falls. So Burrow is a quarterback that tends to take sacks more than these other guys. He has a very high sack rate in terms of the percentage of pressure that becomes sacks, not just the percentage of dropbacks or anything. So the amount of times he's pressured and it ultimately ends up with a, with a sack. The only quarterback that was worse this season was Baker Mayfield. Baker, right. So 27.6% of Burroughs' pressured plays become sacks. And if you look at the quarterbacks around him, Baker Mayfield, the only one worse, Zach Wilson just behind him, the immobile Ben Roethlisberger, who barely ever like they got rid of the ball like lightning quick, was still sacked basically a quarter of the time he was pressured. Justin Fields, Andy Dalton, Davis Mills. This is not a collection of quarterbacks that you immediately feel pocket presence when you talk about them, right? right? So it's not a good place to be. But when you look at those pressures against Tennessee, like so many of them were just like, oh, he's got no shot. Like this is just immediate death. Like uh, Jeffrey Simmons whoops Adenogy and Burrows immediately down. Like there's just nothing he can do about it. And if you look um, the week before, he was actually under pressure more against the Raiders, 36% of the time against the Raiders, which is a pretty big number. Uh, ended up playing incredibly well under pressure despite that. But like play under pressure is one of those things that is – it's a tightrope. You know, you can – it's not that you can't play well under pressure as a quarterback, and you can do it for a while. But eventually, you always fall off that, fall off that tightrope. You just – you don't survive long-term in that scenario. So Burrow this season, highest PFF grade, in, or highest passer rating, rather, in the NFL under pressure. His PFF grade, it's good. It's not great. It's fifth. Um, you know, Josh Allen was the number one graded quarterback in the NFL under pressure. The, remember, Justin Herbert last year was number one by a distance, and we were sort of saying, well, remember, this is not a thing that the same guy does not lead the league in grade under pressure every single year. It's a, it's a stat that fluctuates wildly. So Herbert, number one last year, dropped all the way down to 15th this year, and his passing grade dropped to the low 50s. So that kind of shows you how transient this kind of thing is. My point being, Burrow has been riding his luck for a while under pressure, 
Um, that was obviously the thing that ruined the Bengals last year. They were better this season, but they got banged up and they've been forced to turn to depth players on the offensive line. And Burrow's been able to make it work for the last few weeks. I don't know if that holds up again this week. Even just looking at the last game against Kansas City, a weird accumulation of stats, right? Burrow finishes 30 of 39 for 446. He was under pressure 16 times, sacked four times. So, so a quarter of those pressures. I think the way you laid it out, right? Again, last week, only 15 pressures and nine sacks. So it makes, it, it makes the offensive line feel worse if you're just looking at the sack total. Yeah. But it also takes away those plays like he did have plenty of plays where he was able to get rid of the ball and, and wasn't you know under duress a high percentage of the time. The other part of this is, um, again, in the Kansas City game, only 13 first downs in that game where he was 30 for 39 for 449. It was big play driven. It was Jamar Chase down the field. Uh, I think it was T. Higgins had a, a, a big play in that as well. There was just a lot of massive chunk plays. And this is what happened to the Kansas City defense earlier in the year where – they were just – early in the year, it was busted coverages. In this game, it was a lot of – I mean, there was busted coverage against T. Higgins. There was Jamar Chase just winning, including a third and 27. So it feels like the Bengals are going to have a tough time replicating 446 passing yards, 11 yards per attempt, and all that stuff. I think it's got to be the underneath stuff they got to get a little bit better at, right? So the, the one of the ways to protect the quarterback is the receivers get open, right? They get open quicker. And I think that's going to be a big part of the game plan here for the Bengals is, yeah, you want to create those chunk plays, but I think replacing the run game with the quick passing game uh, in, in, you know, and you never know when Jamar Chase is just going to run through the defense because he tends to do that as well. So that short passing game, I think, is going to be key here. One of the biggest one-on-one matchups that the Bengals need to think about how they stop it ruining their game is Hakeem Adeniji against Chris Jones. Chris Jones has more pressure this year than Jeffrey Simmons, who single-handedly just ruined the like the offensive performance for Cincinnati yeah, last this, week. This could ruin the entire game. Honestly, if you took Adeniji out of the lineup last week, it solved most of the problems. Like he gave up three of the sacks that they surrendered, um, and it was a case of like when he lost, he lost bad and ugly and immediately. And again, like it's not like. Things are getting worse this week. Chris Jones hasn't been on the best run recently, and but he's got more pressure on the year than Simmons has. He's a better pass rusher than Simmons. He's a better player than Simmons, period. If you haven't figured out a way of shoring up Adenogy or replacing him in the lineup, I mean, Jackson Carmen, your rookie, could be out there instead. I don't know if he'd do a tremendously better job, but this is a weak spot that could, on its own, disrupt the entire offense for Cincinnati. Do you want a chance to win the Ultimate Game Day Feast? Let's sure. talk about it. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know on your financial future? Western and Southern's teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the Ultimate Feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We're running out of time here. So we're going to cover your catering. For up to $2,500, coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. Coming up soon. Don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. So here's what you do. You submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash feast. One more time, it's westernsouthern.com slash feast. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link. Check out what we're showing you right now on the screen. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. So, yeah, that Bengals offense uh, mitigating the Chris Jones 
uh, Chris Jones pressure, pressure in general, Burrow getting rid of the ball rather than taking those negative plays, all of that stuff is going to be crucial. Uh, Joe Mixon had a really nice run for a touchdown, cut back and all that last week against the Titans, but, you know, he's been the, the run game has been more of an afterthought during this stretch run here for the Bengals. I, 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 I don't mind a little bit of balance there. Uh, the Chiefs have had their issues against the run, uh, especially this season. I mean, over the last couple of years, really. So maybe, you know, against the right fronts, you're getting that. And uh, in, in the run game can be good. I want to see how the Chiefs play Jamar Chase, right? When you talk about rematches. Uh, so remember when the Chiefs torched the Bucks last year? Tyreek Hill had like 200. He had 200 yards in the first quarter mm-hmm. against the Bucs. And then, of course, they saw each other in the playoffs. And you didn't have that. The Bucks made an adjustment. I mean, this is the game of football. There's going to be adjustments. There's going to be, you know, the Chiefs just going to sit and cover two and invite the run and invite the short passing game. Uh, are they not going to blitz as much? Is, is there not going to be as much single high or man coverage toward Jamar Chase? Does that make it more of a Joe Mixon game? Does it make it more of a T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd game for the Bengals? Those are the types of things. And then Burrow's just got to take what's there. I mean, as much as you'd love to feed Jamar Chase and get him to 200 yards again, there's also a good chance the Chiefs deploy a lot of extra resources his way. Yeah, and they're probably going to need to. Like The interesting thing about Cincinnati is they really have gone – this season as Jamar Chase has gone. And when he had that slump in the middle of the year, that's kind of where their slump was as well. Like, they've relied on him so much, just absolutely dominating. And I think early in the season, there was a lot of quote-unquote unsustainable things, like just weird plays that every time he threw the ball in his direction, something good was happening, whether uh, it was him making an improbable run after the catch, whether it was guys just missing a pass breakup on on a ball headed in his direction that could easily have been uh, an incompletion, not a touchdown, that kind of thing. And then later in the year, he just started dominating straight up, if you like. Like it, it was a more sustainable level of incredible performance. But you can take that away. Like you can, again, it, there's, there's nothing in the NFL that's unstoppable. The question is, what does it cost you to stop it? Um, so the Chiefs can and, and should dedicate extra resources to Jamar Chase and Bill Belichick style just force him to win somewhere else, right? If, you, if T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd is the guy that kills you in this game, so be it. It's better than just letting them ride the thing that they've been riding all season long, which you know can destroy you because it did it the last time. Like, if they face another third and 27 and Jamar Chase is one-on-one on the outside again, that's negligent game planning. That's just bad uh, coaching. Like, you can't let that happen again. All right, what about the other side here? What can the Bengals do to stop the Chiefs' offense? Not much. Because they, they really didn't the first time around. And they, played, they gave them the right game plan, right? The, this idea of the problem is the Raiders fixed the Chiefs for everybody else, right? The Chiefs were legitimately in a weird slump. They were knocked off their confidence. They were turning the ball over at a freakish rate of knots. And even though they were moving the ball well, when they were forced to be patient – they kept choking, right? That's the only way of explaining it. They were choking and causing turnovers that shouldn't have been there. And it was, it was causing issues. And the analytics guys were pointing to the sort of broad overall numbers, the EPA per play and the, um, the scoring rate and the percentage of drives that were scoring and touchdowns and all those kinds of things, saying there isn't a fundamental problem here. At some point, the turnovers will stop and all the other things will remain. And then the Chiefs are back to being the Chiefs. Um, 
whilst that's the way it's happened, I don't think it was necessarily true at the time because I think they were being forced into those situations by teams making them be patient. And when they were forced to be patient, it, they were off their game. The problem is that particularly two games against the Raiders, the Chargers chipped in there as well, but a bunch of teams gave them defenses that simply did not put them in those situations for a run of three or four weeks, right? They had a month, basically, where nobody gave them that problem again. And simply playing a month of play without being challenged seems to have righted the ship. It seems to have, like, given them the confidence back. And all of a sudden, if you do make them be patient, like Buffalo did, they're, they're fine now. They can do it. They, they can go out there. They can have a 15-play drive that results in a touchdown, and you can't stop it anymore. So the Bengals last time, they did give, give them those two high looks, and it was more successful. So 67? When, when they rotated to single high, which, again, yeah. you can't just sit in the same thing the whole time. When they rotated, rotated single high, you have Demarcus Robinson getting behind the defense. They did right. create some big plays when they played a, you know, more single high, so they, one-on-one type stuff. They ran 67% of their coverages with some kind of two high type of shell. When they went to those single high looks, the Chiefs averaged 12.3 yards per attempt. So, again, it... it it, it's giving you the game plan. The game plan is what you did before. It's stay as much as humanly possible in those two high looks because that is the best way of slowing down the Chiefs. The problem is it doesn't slow them down enough when they're in their groove, which is where they are right now. There was a lot of what-ifs in that last game, too, for both sides. The, the referees had uh, at least one ticky-tack uh, pass interference call that went against the Chiefs. The other what-ifs, if you're, so if you're, if you're a Chiefs fan... I heard Chiefs fans say, oh, the, Bengal, you know, the, the referees blew this game for us. If you're a Bengals fan, you're like, yeah, but Mahomes also threw two passes yeah. right to de- defense. There was that one drive that the refs seemed to just be like, no, the, there is no way this drive is ending for Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. I'm, look, we I'm not. Gonna, we were going to keep it going. I'm not arguing it. I'm just saying there were, there were some what ifs with some play calls, with some calls from the refs. There were some what ifs as far as Mahomes had two turnover worthy plays, but no interceptions, two passes. Pretty much thrown right to defensive backs. I, feel, I believe both were two high looks. At least one was just a misread of cover two. For whatever reason, though, Mahomes doesn't do a whole lot of misreading of coverage in the playoffs. Yeah. For whatever reason, playoff Mahomes, who's undefeated against non-Tom Brady-led teams in the playoffs, Mahomes doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Um, he does I mean, In the Super Bowl, he had the four turnover-worthy plays, I believe it was, against the Niners. Mahomes... Up until the Super Bowl has been almost perfect over the last few years since he took over as starter. Yeah, so lifetime, that's the other thing for whatever it's worth you're going up against here. Lifetime passer rating of 107 in the playoffs, 8.1 yards per attempt lifetime in the playoffs, 25 touchdowns, five interceptions in the playoffs, 1.8% turnover-worthy play rate in the playoffs. And if you take away which is that a percentage point lower than his yeah. like regular season lifetime. And if you take away the two Super Bowls, which you you know. Whatever. Right. But if you take out the two Super Bowls, all, all of his Goes AFC games leading up to the Super Bowl, Mahomes has been really incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's, those numbers are all with that, in particular, that Tampa Bay Super Bowl, like, dragging him down. Here's his, the other number. His numbers have been madness in the, Super, in the playoffs. The other number last week, Mahomes, 90% adjusted completion percentage. Yeah, he completed 75%, had three drops, had four throwaways. He was on point again. And the thing I will... The thing about Mahomes' 2018 season, when he broke out and you're looking at all the highlight real stuff, the thing I kept coming back to is he had one of the lowest percentages of negatively graded plays in the NFL early in the year. Um, by the way, again, just to reiterate, like the slump was real. 
right? They did score three points against the Titans. They, they, they did barely move the ball against the Giants and put points on the board, right? I mean, those things really happened earlier this season. The Packers, he averaged four and a half yards per attempt. I mean, those things really happened. But there was a point in the season where Mahomes had, you know, his negatives were up. He was just missing throws he wasn't normally missing, and he's shored a lot of that up, right? And again, it's, it's coinciding with that, hey, we could play that underneath game, that patient game, you know, better than ever. Mm-hmm. And then the question every defense has to answer, how do you cover Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey? You know, to me, it's tough for the Bengals. They had three turnovers last week, one with the Titans in, in the red zone. First play of the game, of course, on Tannehill. And then the, the, the one that essentially led to the game-winning field goal for the Bengals, which I will reiterate was not a bad decision by Ryan Tannehill. Threw the thing one-on-one coverage, then gets tipped up in the air. Bengals need some of that stuff happening if they're going to you know, pull the upset as, as touchdown underdogs here. Yeah, they do. Turnover I mean, luck. They, they, well, turnover luck or just simply taking the turnover opportunities that arise. You know, Like you said, the Mahomes, Mahomes tossed them a couple in the last game. And they didn't. They didn't come up with them. If they came up with, they need to come up with one of those. I'm saying Mahomes isn't going to do it. He's going to be on point. I think he might do it. I mean, he's just he's done it so much this season. I understand the playoff Mahomes has been different than regular season Mahomes, but even so, like he has given them opportunities a lot this year. And if you're the Bengals, you you can't let those you can't let those hit the ground. And this is like so when you look at some of the corners. You know, the players that they have a corner are not necessarily ball hawks. Like, this is an interesting thing about Eli Apple. Eli Apple hasn't played badly necessarily for stretches for um, Cincinnati. And obviously, he's the guy that got the Ryan Tannehill turnover. But Eli Apple does not tend to catch interceptions. He was the guy, the misread of cover two, the ball thrown right into his hands. And he just dropped it. That's, like, that's the Trevon Diggs argument where we're like, oh, yes. Trevon Diggs had a bunch of passes thrown at him. But yeah, but he catches all of them. The and it's a fair point. Yeah, like there is value to the idea that that same pass thrown at Trevon Diggs is intercepted. Like 100% he catches that. Eli Apple, exactly the same play, made the break on the ball, didn't come up with it. And that it's more important in a game like this against an offense like Mahomes to take those opportunities. I think this is not like a static value thing. There are some games, you know, like that, the 49ers Green Bay game, right, where nobody was scoring any points, nobody was moving the ball. Okay, if you drop an interception, fine. Like, breaking it up was important. We're, we're okay with you not coming up with that. If you're facing the Chiefs, like, this could be an absolute shootout with both offenses scoring at will, like the game we just saw between Kansas City and Buffalo. If you drop an interception in that game, that's like a dagger. That's critical. You can't. You need that turnover. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got some breaking news. We'll get to it in a minute. But first, we got to talk about Manscaped. Roses are red, violets are blue. Don't let that wild pube wreck you, Sam. Mm-hmm. Don't let it. Wild Valentine's Day. It's right around the corner. And our sponsors at Manscaped, they're here for you with the best tools to get your balls ready for the special occasion. This V Day. It's time to join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-belt grooming with our exclusive offer. You go to manscaped.com, use the code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. That's right, scrolling right on the screen. You can see all those incredible tools. The holidays went by so quickly. Did you remember to take care of your package with the best tools for the job? The Performance Package 4.0 from Manscaped is the, just the thing every guy needs in their life to make each and every day just a little more special. They want to propose. They have a proposal. That February 13th is a national holiday called National Shave Your Balls Day. 
You guys in? Is everyone in on that? A holiday that men and women can get behind. February 13th. You can only do it with Manscaped. Can't do it with anything else. Manscaped created their products for a night just like this. They'll make your V-Day date say, wow, great set of balls you got there. Mm -hmm. That's what they'll say. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF over at manscaped.com. It's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code PFF. Join Cupid and shoot your arrow with Manscaped this Valentine's Day. Do we want to touch on some breaking news here, or do you want to wrap up this game? Well, let's wrap up the game first. What is it? It's a, what is it, seven, did you say? Seven and a half? Seven-point line. It's I, seven, man. And I'm not, Burrow is playing too well. I'm not, say, I'm not giving anybody seven points against Joe Burrow. I have two ways of looking at this. If you're the Chiefs, let, let's paint this picture. The Chiefs, the Bills are probably a better team than the Bengals. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs just beat them. It was hard-nosed. It was tough. A lot of people expected this to be the AFC Championship. You saw it a week earlier. Uh, do the Chiefs come out and just because they're better than the Bengals play better and win by a touchdown? Or are they spent from this game? Going back to, hey, when we were describing the Titans all year, how do you get up for these games week in, week out? I think the Chiefs, they're battle-tested. They, they, they've won in the playoffs. I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to do it in cover. <laughs> I think they're going to come out and play their play – their, the, the question is can they play their best game again or their top-end game? And I think the Chiefs can do it. I'll say they cover. Just remember that run of Joe, the statistics of Joe Burrow in gotta-have-it games. Ooh, the man has been like right. otherworldly. Oh, man. He hasn't had a grade. Another 400-yard game for him. He hasn't had a grade lower than 74 since week 11. Like he's taking care of the ball. And in that time, he's got his many. I, just, I that, think Spags has a better game plan for Jamar Chase. Since week 11, Joe Burrow has more 85-graded games than Mahomes has all season. Spags is going to learn his lesson. Because they blitz, too. Remember, he, Spags was giving his explanation. Third and 27. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna speed him up. We're going to heat him up a little bit with a blitz. Mm-hmm. Right? And, you know, you're not going to generally complete... 27-yard back shoulder to Jamar Chase. But those dudes are special. Spags is going to learn his lesson, play a little bit more conservative. And do you really have to blitz when you have those mismatches up front with Chris Jones and Adenogy and that is know, what the, the Chiefs real, are bringing? Like, that's the one area that I'm massively concerned about if I'm Cincinnati. Yeah, since Week 11, Joe Burrow has four games with a higher grade than anything Mahomes has had all season, including that last playoff game. Four games of 89 or higher. Mahomes' highest this season is 85.5. Bam. All that said, give me the give me the Chiefs to win and cover. Green Line likes the Bengals, I believe. Yeah, Green Line would take the Bengals. So I would amazing. suggest taking the Bengals. I'm going off the uh, the Chiefs here. My non data driven analysis right here. How's that? Okay, you got the Bengals. Yeah. All right. A couple coaching moves have been made. Matt Eberflus has been hired by the Chicago Bears, so it's now a GM named Ryan. And a head coach named Matt mm-hmm. taking over in Chicago. Well, that went well last time. So Pace and Nagy replaced by Poles and Eberflus. Ryan and Matt. Uh, so that has officially happened. Uh, Eberflus was, he's supposedly, he was in the mix for the Jacksonville Jaguars job. Uh, sounds like Byron Leftwich is trying to get some personnel control, get his guy in there, maybe uh, in the GM seat. Um, and then the other news is a uh, friend of the show, Dan Quinn, is going to remain defensive coordinator with the Dallas Cowboys. So Quinn had his name up there for the Broncos job. 
other potential jobs, and he is out as a head coaching candidate. So he'll be back with the Dallas Cowboys this year. I mean, the interesting thing for me is uh, Eberflus to Chicago. Like, the assumption was that Chicago would go hard after some kind of offensive-minded head coach because Justin Fields is there, right? And he's the most important part of that organization right now. They didn't. They go with a defensive mind who presumably now has that same task, right? Who is the offensive mind I'm bringing in to pair with Justin Fields? I, it's Eberflus is another guy because um, Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator for the Eagles, was getting a lot of publicity throughout this whole cycle. It does seem like the defensive coaches that are making their rounds are all, and not to oversimplify this, they're all zone-heavy, a lot of softer zone. It's almost like when we went back to that, everybody was hiring Tampa 2 coaches, you know, mm. Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith and Raheem Morris at the time. Like, it was all Tampa 2 coaches uh, 20 years ago. It does feel like we're going to this zone-heavy, around-the-league type of, type of style. Um, and that's what Eberflus has been. It's also interesting that the Colts, who haven't really, you know, they've, they've built a pretty good team. I think they've done it. Chris Ballard's program is doing pretty well over there. They haven't won a ton. But they've become quite the, uh, quite the coaching tree there. Nick Sirianni and, and now Eberflus. I mean, there's a lot of people trying to uh, – Ed Dodd is an assistant GM there that's been a hot name. Like, they've actually – They've groomed coaches better than they've won games, I'd say, in, uh, in Indianapolis so far. Yeah, they've become, remember, you know, the, anyone that's had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay, conveyor belt that was there. Yeah. It's now the Colts. If you, if you coach the Colts for a while, you're getting, a, you're getting the interviews and the jobs. Uh, it is interesting what you said. So that, that was what the Chargers did, right? So the Chargers went and got Brandon Staley right. for their hot, hot shot new quarterback, Justin Herbert. And the Bears are doing the same thing with Eberflus. Uh, and presumably Ryan Poles, new general manager, coming in there is there's got to be some sort of plan. There's got to be somebody that they're saying that they're going to hire uh, to take Justin Fields to the promised land as their uh, you know, developmental quarterback. I think people probably overrate this idea of like the head coach has to be the offensive mind or the like whatever, like because that's the area of need. Like, this is kind of like what we're hearing with the Vikings and Quazy as the GM. Like, your job there is it's CEO. It's it's you know it's not figurehead, but you're the guy that sits above everything and makes decisions. You're not the guy that has to be in the weeds with every single portion of this. Obviously, coaching up Justin Fields is the most important thing that needs to happen for Chicago. But that doesn't mean that the head coach is the guy that needs to be doing that. Like, you need to find a really good QB coach. You need to find a good offensive coordinator. Those are the two guys that are going to be spending the most time with the, co- with the QB and making sure that he's, he's good to go. If the head coach is the guy doing that, there's probably a lot of other stuff he's not doing, which is pretty important. Yeah, but then the other side of that is when, when Justin Fields takes off and becomes a star and the offensive coordinator who got him there then becomes the next hot name, you know, on one hand, maybe Justin Fields is fine because he's so good, it doesn't matter. On the other, on the other hand, you, do you want to have to continue to develop coaches, you know, with your guy? Whereas if you're an offensive guy, at least you're the consistent voice. Like, it, it's Sean McVay is always going to be there for his quarterback, whether he's cycling through uh, Kevin O'Connell, Zach Robinson, you know, whoever. It doesn't matter. Like, Sean McVay is still going to be there, right? Like, how difficult is it probably to groom Zach Robinson into the next offensive coordinator? Probably takes a lot of work with Zach. Now, Zach's a genius. He's awesome. 
Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, that's the part of it I think that is tough. If you're an offensive coach, you know you're always going to be there, whereas there could be a revolving door of I don't think that matters. Though, like, the, and, the important part is the next like, two years of Justin Fields' development. Like, True. If you get a guy and he develops Justin Fields into a star and then he leaves, the quarterbacks tend not to develop into stars and then stink. You know, just because the guy left the building, that I mean, that's not that's not the quarterback developing. That's something else. So if you get a guy that can develop Justin Fields into the ceiling you think he's capable of, and then that guy gets a head coaching gig and leaves, fine. Like you got you got us the bit that we needed, which was the QB being a superstar. We'll find somebody else to come in and just like not run him off the rails. That's okay, but like that's the part you need. And yeah, maybe. The head coach is the guy that could do that as well. But it feels to me like the head coach has 58 other things that he needs to be responsible for. Yeah, true. And I'm not sure you want him hip deep in, you know, play design and uh, tape watching with Justin Fields from 5 a.m. to late at night every day. Two quick things. Uh, Timo's trying to see the world burn here. He said Jason Garrett is available and Iberflus worked under him for seven years in Dallas. Great. So he's really trying to, uh, Timo, stir in the pot there. Um, The other part, you're going to hate this. Mike Lombardi said something. Okay. That was pretty good. Why, uh, he why was, are we giving him airtime? Really quick. This podcast. He said something about the Bill Belichick coaching tree. What, what he feels doesn't work is that people don't really understand what Bill Belichick does. And what Belichick does really well is groom coaches. And the same way we're talking about, like, I'm going to retweet a million things that Quasi says because they're probably going to be smart. It's because the GM is not a super scout. He's just an information gatherer, decision maker, right? and a million other jobs that he has. The head coach we keep talking about is also a CEO type of position. And so to your point, does it matter if it's an offensive or defensive coach? Their, coach, their job is to develop coaches to understand the program and then get the players to understand the program and you know be on the same page. So does the offensive or defensive thing even matter? Because, look, the head coach has other stuff to do rather than just being on the side of X's and O's. Hmm. Yeah. What? No, then? You, had, you, have, you didn't even have a response to that. No. Because <clears throat> I could have said an unnamed source. Yeah. Uh, you don't respond to, uh, to Mike Lombardi stuff. No. We should get him on the show mm. as a guest. Do you want to get to the other game? Yes. What's the other game? The other game is the San Francisco 49ers playing the Los Angeles Rams for the third time this season. Before we get to it, there's only four teams remaining in the NFL playoffs. That means only four teams left for you to bet on at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. If you're not a new customer, that's fine. You can experience conference championships with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. It's promo code PFF for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Niners Rams. Mm-hmm. How come Sean McVay, boy wonder, can't beat the, beat the 49ers? I don't know. No. I don't have a good answer. Great. This is going to be an outstanding podcast. <laughs> I think that, you know, the, do, the, do the Niners, just to paint the picture here, 
last time this game happened, I was like, well, of course, you know, does the do the five games actually matter? The five previous games that the Niners beat the Rams? Yeah, and you're like, nope, don't doesn't matter. matter. Then Rams get up seventeen to nothing, and not only did they get up seventeen to nothing, something happened in Sean McVay. He sprints across the field or just up the sideline into the end zone to celebrate. It was Stafford to Higby. Touchdown to go up 17 to nothing. And McVay in the second quarter, it was like they celebrate, it was like he was celebrating a Super Bowl win. It was a little, it was a little over the top. But I feel like you could see the emotion of man, we just we can't beat this team. Mm. We put in these, we put in a few extra plays this week to make sure that we're gonna win this game. We put a little extra effort in this week. Now he's getting that. Now he's getting the questions, you know. But is, uh, is Kyle in your head? Yeah, but I'm no. trying to but like, something was happening in the second quarter in that game where McVeigh felt like, okay, we finally did it. We're up 17 to nothing. The good plays are working. We saved the good plays for this week. We got our Stafford. You know, we're good. And then they blew it in overtime. Lost to the Niners. And uh, the okay. thing that happened in that particular game was the Niners had a really important drive before the half to get it, to just kick a field goal, to get it within two scores. Um, and then slowly but surely they got they back up, into the, the game. The Rams were up 17 to nothing. Yeah, that's what I've been saying. Mm. And, but, but at 17 to nothing, McVay was celebrating like they'd won the Super Bowl. It was as if they, they put a lot into getting off to a good start. And, and, and they were ready. They were ready for the Niners. But then they almost blew it. Uh, they did blow it. Yeah. Just like last week. And they'd blown that lead. By before the the fourth quarter, like the 49ers come all the way back in the third quarter. Okay, the Rams then added another touchdown, but like the seventeen to nothing lead was gone, like in the middle of the middle to the late of the third quarter. And then fourth quarter, Stafford showed up. He leads a game winning or go ahead drive, but fourth quarter Jimmy Garoppolo showed up too, and he led a game tying drive and eventually the game winner in overtime, game winning field goal. Stafford throws an interception to end the game. So. This makes two out of the last three weeks now. Week 18, and then the divisional round that the Rams blew a big lead. 17 to nothing, and then 27 to 3. The Rams need to figure out, first, you want to keep that same hot start. They also had a hot start against Arizona. The Rams have been starting great. Script plus, whatever you want to Remember call Remember that Baltimore was similar as well. Almost blew it against Baltimore. That's right. So the Rams need to figure out a way to maintain a lead if they get it. That's <laughs> mm. my analysis here. They've, been, they've done a great job getting up. Um, to expect what happened last week, I mean, that was crazy, right? The fumbles, when the fumbles happened, the bad snap. I mean, a lot of that stuff's probably not going to happen again yeah. to the last, Rams. I don't think last week's um, collapse, quote-unquote, was indicative of how things are going for this offense like that was just a bunch of weird turnover things that all happened at the same time and that was the only way that the Bucks defense was stopping that offense was literally just getting lucky with the ball popping out a few times um it is interesting so do you think that there's something to the idea that Kyle Shanahan so these offenses are related scheme wise right we've all yes. seen that photo where McVeigh and Shanahan and LaFleur are all in the 2013 Washington uh, coaching staff um, and then they all went their separate ways. But essentially, it's the, it, the offense is it's the same scheme tweaked by each one of these individual head coaches. Now, I think Shanahan has done more tweaking than the other guys. Like, he's brought that offense to a further away place 
schematically and, and what they do than the other guys um, probably helped whether by accident or by design by the collection of like unique playmakers that they have Joe sure. Samuel George Kittle Brandon Ayuk these are unusual athletes that I think allow him to do different things with this offense but my point being do you think there's an, there's uh, truth to the idea that Shanahan is particularly good at understanding how to stop variants of this offense. So when they play a Shanahan tree type of system, like he just goes down the hall to the defensive room and is like, all right, guys, this is what we're doing this week. This will neutralize everything they're doing, and we're golden. Because that's kind of what it seems happens every time they play one of these offenses. San Francisco's defense stops them. Yeah, I've always been of the belief that familiarity within a system is, you know, is the advantage, right? When you see an offensive coach go become a head coach and then he goes and plays his former offense, I think there is an advantage there because of the way offense works, right? Offense offense works based off of if the defense shows X, we're going to do Y, right? So if you know the offense inside and out, you can you dictate X. You show them whatever you want to show them, and then you know how they're going to adjust to it. If we show them X, they're going to run it this way, or they're going to protect that way, or whatever it is. In this last game, seven total sacks, or seven players had sacks for the Niners. Three from Eric Armstead, DJ Jones, Nick Bosa, uh, Arden Key. All of those pass rushers got there. So I think part of it was them winning one-on-ones, but also you know how the Rams are going to pass protect. Like that's, that's the start of the week when you're game planning. How do they pass protect? How do we attack their protection? It seems like the Niners have done a really good job there against the Rams. I also think on the other side of it, so yes, so I think Shanahan's familiarity with the offense and If you look at the teams, so is they, helpful. they've played this, they've played a, a variant of this offense a lot this season. And if you look at the points totals that those teams have had, Obviously, Green Bay, 10 points last week. All right, frozen, you know, we can put that down to weather to some degree. The last, the Week 18 game against the Rams, the Rams scored 24 points, 17 of which they they got early in that game. Uh, Cincinnati, Zach Taylor, this is a variant of that offense as well. Um, 23 points when they beat the Bengals. Uh, What else we got? The first Rams game, the Rams only scored 10 points. Um, you got to go all the way back to Week 3 against Green Bay, for one of these offenses to rack up a decent number of points, and that was the the Packers scored 30 that game, and that was a pretty banged-up San Francisco team that is not what it is right now. Let me add one more thing to the equation here. Aaron Donald, right? The stars that the Rams have. The Niners, the way they run their offense, we, we, we give them a ton of credit about how smart they are and all this stuff. The Niners seem to be one of the teams equipped to negate the Rams stars. Aaron Donald's uh, two of his first worst four games from a grading standpoint this year against the Niners. Fourth worst back in week 10, 73.5, which is still a good grade, but it's not the blue grade that he's usually bringing to the table. He's got three pressures, I think, across the two games. Yes. And then week 18, a 55.5 grade for Aaron Donald, including, yes, just two pressures on 34 dropbacks. So whether it's the play-action game, the blocking angles, the way they attack Aaron Donald, they have done a really good job of negating the thing that has made the Rams really special, at least special on this two-game playoff run, but just in general this year. When you, the, I, I keep citing that the Stars are playing like Stars. Aaron Donald, Vaughn Miller, OBJ. The Niners have done the best job, especially defensively, 
slowing down those Ram stars. I will say that that is a this year thing. Like if you go back yeah. last year and the year before, Donald has been a wrecking machine against the against the 49ers as well as he has against anybody else. He's got a bunch of So wrecks. obviously he's done it against everyone, but is this a, is this a thing that they've Yeah, but figured out is this part of I doubt it. I think I'll, I think I think Donald has probably just had two games that weren't great against the 49ers this year. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you go back the last couple of years, Donald's got 90 grades. He's got seven pressures. He's like, he's been Aaron Donald um, against the 49ers, except this year, where in two games, he really hasn't been a factor. I don't think, I don't think there's enough change with the 49ers offense this year for them to have suddenly discovered Aaron Donald kryptonite. I don't think there's enough change with the offensive line, personnel-wise, for them to have suddenly discovered Aaron Donald kryptonite like if it was if Donald was going one-on-one with Trent Williams every week you'd be like all right maybe you know Trent Williams is playing at an otherworldly level this year relative to the past that could explain it but he's not right Trent Williams is a left tackle Donald is typically interior uh all the time I just time. think Trent down blocking on Aaron Donald yeah times so I think I see that people have made this point that you know this is actually probably a good thing for the Rams because the chances that Donald is like a wall for a third game this year against the 49ers are pretty small I think that's probably true that, yeah, a big part of them winning those two games is that they did have games where Aaron Donald wasn't really a factor. I, if I was a betting guy, I would say that there's, there's, a, pretty, there's a better chance that Donald is a, a massive positive force for the Rams than there is he goes missing again. It does sound like all the 49ers questionable players as far as injuries go, Trent Williams, Debo Samuel, they're all going to be good to go and um, technically questionable for Trent Williams. I think Whitworth will be back. Um, him and Joe Noteboom both listed as questionable. Right now, I do believe Whitworth should be back for this game for the Rams. So I think both teams relatively healthy. Um, the schematic battle, absolutely fascinating. But to me, it's still it, it, the, the thing I mentioned for both of these teams individually was Stafford needs to take care of the ball last week. Jimmy Garoppolo needs to take care of the ball. Right. And it's still going to come down. To that, uh, yeah, I mean that for the 49ers, that's the elephant in the room, right? It's Jimmy Garoppolo throws the ball at the defense at a staggering rate for a guy who doesn't bring an awful lot to the table in terms of like high end play, right? Jimmy Garoppolo's selling point is that within this offense that schemes up massive play, he runs it better than the other Muppets they've had doing that when he goes down, right? Like Nick Mullins is productive enough within this offense that he gets on graphics with, like, Andrew Luck and Patrick Mahomes. But Nick Mullins is not a good quarterback. The same thing is true with C.J. Beathard, much though on a, what, two-throw sample size or whatever, he's the number one graded quarterback in the league this year. We know that C.J. Beathard isn't great. So the gap between Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard, and Jimmy Garoppolo is significant. And it's probably enough that, you know, the people have got these sort of on-off splits in terms of wins and losses, right? Jimmy G just wins. And if you look how many games he's won relative to how many games Beathard and, and Mullins won, it's night and day. Like, yeah, so I think it's a reasonable thing to suggest that the gap between those two guys and Jimmy Garoppolo is significant enough that it crosses the threshold between you'll lose most games and you'll win most games, right? But he's more of a, you know, he's more of a passenger on this thing than he is driving the boat. Like, Garoppolo has 11 big-time throws all season long, including two playoff games. That's a 2.2% big-time throw rate, which is one of the worst in the NFL. Last year, Tua was the worst in the NFL, 2.7%. So it's like a historically 
bad run of like bringing no no big throws to the table. Um, but he's second in the league in yards per attempt, eight and a half, which is trailing only Joe Burrow. So they move the ball. Like the offense is productive. It's efficient with Jimmy G at quarterback, but you're not doing that much. And what you are doing is tossing the ball to the defense a lot. Those are two things that are not happy bedfellows. Like if you're going to be the guy that is just kind of steering this thing and trying not to hit an iceberg, like you're, you're pointing this thing at a lot of ice is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's such an interesting dynamic that, that there's so few big-time throws in the high yards per attempt or high EPA or high whatever offense-based efficiency number you want to bring to the table. 35 and 30, 15 as a starter, too, Jimmy yeah. Garoppolo. The success is there for the team. And that's why like this whole 49ers quarterback dynamic is fascinating because they have evidence that they don't need like there, in this world, you go back to yesterday's podcast, right? In this world of where all of a sudden you're looking at the Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes game, and you're like, oh, my God, how do we compete with that? We need a superstar quarterback, and our, our good quarterback, our good quarterback might as well suck. It's useless to us, right? We're not winning a game against those guys. The 49ers are like the one team that can actually look at their situation and go, you know what? We're actually okay. Like, we're fine with this guy who's not great. Just being good within this system makes us as productive as any offense in the NFL. And yet they were the team out on the front of this who went, you know what, to hell with that. Let's trade three first-round picks to get the guy we think could be special. Now that guy is sitting his ass on the bench, and you're still playing the guy who's productive but offering very little in terms of big plays. That's the other big storyline in this thing, though, right? Again, we spent all offseason saying – and the two teams I used as an example were the Niners and the Rams, who both said our quarterback's not good enough. They both made that statement last year in their actions. The Rams went out, traded Goff for Stafford, and the Niners did what you did and got Trey Lance. Now, the Niners are stuck, with, stuck, whatever you want to call it, still using the old guy, Jimmy Garoppolo, whereas the, the Rams are pretty much here because of the new guy, mm-hmm. Matthew Stafford. To me, that's just a fascinating storyline here because I think they were both – saying, ah, we can't, we just, we just got to get better. We got to get better at the quarterback position. And the Niners, you know, maybe they still do, but they're here. They've made it here. Um, all that said, we could throw the genius label at Shanahan and Mike McDaniel, who's getting a lot of buzz now because he's, you know, he's, he gives good interviews and he says smart things. They scored six points last week. Yeah. Yeah, it was in a, it was in a snowstorm, and all, they scored six points offensively last but week. The point being with all this stuff that Jimmy Garoppolo has one of the highest turnover-worthy play rates you're going to see among any quarterback. The only guy with a higher one this year is Mike Glennon, <laughs> who had some, like, I mean, Mike Glennon's numbers are staggering this season. <laughs> so, it was like G- four and 17 or something, right? G- Jimmy Big Garoppolo. Turnover-worthy play, not good. No, it's even worse than that. It's two to 18. Um Jimmy Garoppolo's turnover-worthy play rate this year is 4.9%, which is tied with Roethlisberger for the worst in the NFL among non-Mike Glennon people. Mike Glennon's is 9.3%. It's almost twice as bad as the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. Wow. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah. I mean, Mike Glennon, this was probably the worst, amongst the worst quarterback performances anybody has ever had in the course of a season. John Skelton-esque. Check yeah, skeletons break down. I, I, yeah, I can't. I mean, there have been some pretty inept, you know, QB performances down the years, but Mike Lennon this year put himself right up in the pantheon of crappy. I mean, they had the 
the one game against the Bears where every time the Giants drop back, they handed the Bears a field goal. Yeah, basically, two and a half of EPA. Two and a half EPA, negative EPA for every drop back. It's impressive. It's impressive. That's mind-bending. But anyway, so you have to kind of put Mike Lennon away somewhere in his own little world of like, what the hell was that? But among people that are not Mike Lennon, Garoppolo puts the ball in harm's way as much as anybody else. And unlike those other people, he's not offsetting that with like some with big plays. What he's doing is you're essentially saying, I'm going to run this offense efficiently and well, and I will take advantage of most of the things you dial up for me, right? The downside is every now and again, I'm going to pitch the ball to a linebacker. And the yeah. question is, what is the balance there? Because, you know, Stafford can go out there, throw a pick six, and then the next play, heave a bomb to Cooper Cup. And we're like, all right, it's a wash, right? Well done. In one play, Stafford can get it all back. Garoppolo is not going to do that. Garoppolo is going to go, all right, if I pitch the ball to the defense, I'm going to need to try and earn that back over like half of well, the, drives. The wash is Garoppolo's going to, you know, make a few other good throws, but it's Debo and it's Kittle and it's yeah, but there you It's the other playmakers are making up for it. But it's also like it's not going to happen in one big chunk play. True. It's like I'm going to. It's going to take me a few drives to get us back into positive territory here. You know, you're going to have to bear with me while I try and claw my way out of this negative EPA hole that I just threw us into. And in the playoffs so far, it hasn't really happened. Like, his, his numbers, his grade, everything is crappy in the playoffs so far. So the, every one of these games, in theory, you're stepping it up in level of competition. And ultimately, this comes down to if Jimmy G doesn't up his game, it's, at some point, it's not going to be enough. He, he does need to take better care of the ball unless the defense balls out like they did last week. Yeah. This is gonna, the defense did a really nice job taking away Devontae Adams after that first drive. I want to see if they can do the same thing. Can you take away that first read? Because we always talk about pressure and coverage and all that stuff. The reason why the data has said coverage can be uh, is 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 more valuable than pass rush, for lack of a better term, is because if if the quarterback hits his first read, I mean, if if your first read is open, you pretty much can't get sacked unless you have an Aaron Donald one point five second pressure and finish right if the first reads open you can't you can't get the negative play but if the first reads not open then you have a chance and this is what the Niners are doing really really well they took away first reads maybe Rodgers locked on a little bit too much the Niners got to do everything they can I think to take away Cooper Cup and if that means OBJ is gonna kill you which sounds crazy but Cooper Cup, he's going to move around. He'll be in the slot. He'll be outside, tight splits and all that stuff. But if you can take those reads away from Stafford, make him go elsewhere, maybe force him into a mistake, get him to the ground multiple times again like you've done, then the Niners defense has a chance. And then on the other side of it, again, take care of the ball if you're Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, Legacy-wise, because we got to talk legacy stuff, Mm. Stafford just got his first two playoff wins, got a chance – Got a chance to say, okay, I, I finally went to a good situation. I got us to a Super Bowl. I mean, it's legacy, and it's also uh, vindication for everything the Rams have done. Like, this is what they're for sure aiming for, right? We think that the difference between Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford, wherever that is, is enough to take us to a Super Bowl. Like, much like the difference between Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo is enough for us to be losing games to be winning games most of the time. That's the plan. Right now, it's working. They're 2-0. and now, the next two is what's going to determine whether or not it was worth it. Jimmy Garoppolo, on the other hand, has a chance to go to the Super Bowl in 100% of his years as a starter. 
That's a real thing that's on the line here. <laughs> now, you could say you didn't stay healthy in 2018. You didn't stay healthy in 2020. That's your own fault. You're off the field. But in 2019, he went wire to wire. And this year, wire to wire. This is the same team where, when asked about the quarterback situation, is Jimmy G the starter in week seven? Kyle Shanahan said, Shanahan said quote, I suppose, end quote. What a weird spot they're in. If Say the same thing happens. Say Jimmy G gets him to a Super Bowl, doesn't win it, and they're now in this situation where like the guy that they want rid of is, is, goes to a Super Bowl every time he stays healthy in the season but does very little to get you there. Like, isn't the reason you're in the Super Bowl, but it's somehow just enough to get – and you've already got the guy that you drafted to replace him that you sank three draft picks into. What the hell do you do? Probably go to the high upside guy. I mean, Kyle can look around and be like, listen, when I have my hand-picked quarterback, first hand-picked quarterback was Jimmy Garoppolo. When I have him and he stays on the field, I go to the Super Bowl 100% of the time. That's what Shanahan could say. Yeah. And I handpicked well, this other guy who's got a great skill set. Right, but you can't say that and then go, but I want rid of him. Yeah, because, because then because if they for the, yeah, for are they actually win the, if they if they win the Super Bowl, maybe it's it's a tough discussion. No, I think it's easy if you win. Because I, I think you just keep him next year. If they win, I think it's fine. You you've got like at that point you have the excuse. You're like, I can't, can't get rid of a guy that just won us the Super Bowl. If they lose though, now all of a sudden you've got like this guy will get you there if he's healthy, but isn't good enough, like, and we all know that. But can you get rid of a guy that takes you to the Super Bowl every year? No, because it's every other year because he's hurt all the time. That's still part of Healthy. the equation. He's still part. I'm saying, I think that becomes a really difficult conversation. <sighs> I had something else I was going to add to this that I can't remember. So the, the other thing at the start, though, was that it does feel like at this point, you know, always, whether or not you want to bet the streak of <laughs> like endless games that they – the 49ers keep beating the Rams. Um, it does feel like it's starting to get to Sean McVay, you know? Like, is he in your head? No, of course not. Like, <laughs> isn't it? Like, it is, it is so tough. One of the toughest I mean, things how could he not be in his head at this point? One of the toughest things to do is to extrapolate that. So, so here's what I – I saw a clip this week. Let me, let me describe to you what I don't like, and then I'm going to go do it. What I don't like, so uh, there was a clip of Mike Hilton, right? Mike Hilton's on the sideline for the Bengals, and he said something like, he's going to throw me one, he's going to throw me one. Context-free quote, could have happened at any point in the Bengals-Titans game. And then the next clip they show is Tannehill throws a screen, and Mike Hilton reads it, and he, and he gets the interception. So people extrapolated that out into the Titans' offense is so predictable, and Mike Hilton's quote happened exactly before the Titans ran this play, and nobody has any idea where it was. So I don't like when people create stories out of stuff that you know might not be connected. The story I'm going to create, though, can you get into Sean McVay's head? And so in 2018, we're, we're opposing defenses in Sean McVay's head, right? He had a year and a half of incredible offense. Team started running quarters against them, not in, in you know heavy fronts, and they didn't have an adjustment for the rest of the year. And and even a team like the Patriots in the Super Bowl, who doesn't run quarters, dusted off parts of their playbook that they've never used just because Sean McVay had not shown the ability to adjust. Is that can you extrapolate that forward here and say McVay's the type of guy who's either slow to adjust or you can get in his head or whatever it is? Can you look at that 2018 season? in other parts of McVay's career, or maybe he's been 
adjusted to in the second half of the year and extrapolate that forward and say, yeah, there's something where the 49ers do have an advantage, these six straight wins, and they are getting to him. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a West Wing quote where so they said something like, you know, the hardest thing in sports is supposed to be to hit a baseball, right? You can chalk that one up to your baseball tally on the, the graphic. Uh, but that someone had told President Bartlett that the hardest thing in sports to do is to go into the locker room at halftime of the Super Bowl and change the game plan that got you there because it's no longer working, right? And that feels a little bit like what McVeigh runs into every now and again, that his system, his what he runs is fantastic, and most of the time it works to an incredibly high level. But when it doesn't, do you stick with it because that's worked so well for so long, or do you go, no, we actually need to change this because it's not going to function today? And I think that's one of those things, like it becomes this psychological battle because football is such a small sample size sport, and you don't have like a thousand plays to game this out and figure out what you should do. It's like, no, we're in a game. There's 60 plays. We already burned 25 of them. You now have, you know, a finite number of plays to work with. And you have to decide, do you keep plugging away with the thing that's, that's brought you there? Or do you completely change it because all of a sudden the opposition seems to have a pretty good beat on what it is you're doing? I think he struggles with that decision. And so far, hasn't done a great job of of making the right call when that's come up. Appreciate you adding to the baseball talk, by the way. Barry Bonds goes up. It's going to go up 15-44. Yep, there There you go. go. Good tallying. Um, Anyway, the... It is interesting because I was thinking the you know the opposite the other day. I was... Did I make the analogy in our two-and-a-half-hour podcast about... um, Shoot. The baseball one. Yeah. Pitchers... When pitchers face the lineup the third time, this is like a big analytical data point in baseball right now that you want to take pitchers out before they reach the third time through the order because the the more a hitter faces a sees a pitcher they like you i'm a thousand pitches in you just have a better feel for my stuff the advantage is in you know is yours at that point the more Mm. you see me as the hitter does that happen for offenses against defenses because you can dictate defenses right formationally you you know how defenses are gonna attack you and is mcveigh but we're describing mcveigh maybe as the opposite of that is yeah, the more so, defenses get to see him the more they can figure out his offense when the where the advantage should be for the offense the more they get to see how defenses respond to the way you formation and motion and do all your whatever you're doing yeah i just don't think he likes going away from what he knows works when somebody presents him with evidence that it isn't working anymore like, I think he would, he internally defaults to the idea that I just need to execute this better. I just need to keep going with this. This is the right plan. And I need to keep pushing the right plan because eventually, like, he, he feels like the, you know, the poker analogy, right? That if you keep, if, as long as you keep putting your money in when you have the best hand down the line, you'll win the most money, right? Doesn't mean you can't lose. Like, you get a bad beat. You go on a run, and then all of a sudden you start getting that crappy streak of cold cards where you just, every time you do that, you're losing. He feels that that's the situation he's in in these games, and that the, the logical thing to do is to keep pushing your money in when you have the right hand, right? And eventually that will pay off. But I don't think it quite works like that in football because it isn't, you're, it, they're not bad beats, right? Eventually these teams have actually worked out what you're doing, and they are simply defending it well. At that point, 
you need to change your strategy and do something different. So I think that's, that's where McVeigh runs into problems is like feeling that his strategy is still the best way of winning when sometimes it isn't. Whereas maybe Shanahan's a little better at that? Well, I think Shanahan, particularly against people like McVeigh, like understands what, what is causing them problems. So like they, particularly on defense, they adapt and like put them into those spots. Big Ben <laughs> announced his retirement, and there's just a whole set of memes showing Big Ben, you know, like right after he retires, and it's just like his face on a, you know, suggest. I mean, if, if the guy was letting himself go while he was an NFL player. Like Fat Thor from, from the Avengers. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I also like people the way. People don't mind at that. You can't fat shame people anymore. I. I didn't say, I didn't like, say anything. No, 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 I'm just saying, like, people were mad that Fat Thor was a thing. Oh, right. I that you. Fat Thor, that Thor let himself go, got a, you know, it's a beer not, belly. It's not fat Long shaming. hair. It was fat shaming. Can't do that anymore. It's, it's celluloid. Is that the film one? As opposed to cellulose, which is plant cells? I don't know. Celluloid. It was celluloid in, you know, endorsed fat shaming. And you can't have that anymore. That's the world we Listen, live in. There are, there's a healthier way to live. <laughs> there are... There are ways to live that are healthy and ways that, to live that are unhealthy. Can't say it. Can't do it anymore. Do Who to are life. you to tell me how to live my life? I'm not. But if you want to stay healthy, there's a certain thing. There's things you should do. I don't always do them. I'm not eating well. God, no. But, you know, mowing down on chocolate chip cookies is going to lead to health, health problems over time. It's my PSA. Hmm. Trust me. I know. <laughs> Trust you. I'm not a doctor. Pushing three bills here. No, I'm not. Is that okay? Can I say that? Can I fat shame myself? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure what the rules are. Yeah, the rules change daily. I don't make the rules. So whatever, whatever people feel. I merely observe the, observe the rules. Not like, not as Where in, are you going in this game? I don't follow them. I just see them happening. Uh, where am I going in this game? Always by the streak. <laughs> the 49ers, they can't be stopped against the Rams. Give me the Rams. It's, it's, I'm sticking with the better team. Rams are going to win and cover. No, they're not going to cover. Niners cover, Rams win. It's do you buy the streak that the 49ers can't be stopped against the Rams, or do you buy uh, it's very hard to beat a team three times in a season? I'm not doing the three teams in a season thing. I'm going to go the Rams are the better team. They were the better team earlier in the year. They were the better team in Week 18. They they lost both games, but the Rams are the better team, and they'll win this time. Um, Last year, did the Rams beat the Seahawks all three times, or did the Seahawks get a win? That whole division is nuts. Have you seen like the streets? I think I misspoke on that before. I think the Seahawks did win one of the games, but I do know that Russ always struggled. All Have you seen like the streaks that each one of those teams has within the division? Uh, no. Like it's all – so the, I think the 49ers are undefeated against the rest of the division this year. Is that right? And then like every other team is either 5-1 and one or 1-5. One and five. Like they, the, every team against the rest of the division has either like dominated or been wiped by them. It's – ridiculous yeah it's bizarre Um, uh, teams have battled each other i think this comes down to like ultimately they become quite evenly matched teams even if if the rams are a better roster i think overall the 49ers match up better schematically it's going to end up being close which means it probably comes down to which quarterback makes more mistakes and that's jimmy i i yeah i'm i think stafford i'm buying into the stafford i'm buying into stafford i mean i'm not even buying into him he's just better than jimmy garoppolo yeah Stafford, as much as he has a propensity to throw the ball to the defense himself, is not in the same ballpark as Jimmy G when it comes to that. And if he is, 
again, he has the ability to fix it the next play with a bomb to Cooper Cup or OBJ. So, yeah, like Garoppolo is the Garoppolo's the time bomb waiting to go off for the 49ers. And if that happens in this game, it's good night. But you're taking the Niners. No, the Rams. The Rams are going to win. The Rams. You are said you're cover. buying the streak. No, I've changed my mind. Also, we're both on the Rams here. The Rams are going to win and cover. It's three and a half, the spread. Rams yes. are going to win and cover for you. I'll say it's a three-point game. So I'll say the Niners cover here. Okay. Uh, Green Line likes both underdogs to cover, I believe. So go check it out, pff.com. I'll even give you 20, 25% off of Green Line hmm. using promo code NFLPOD. That's what I'll do for you. We'll do it, actually. Uh, NFL Pod gets you 25% off any PFF subscription. And uh, now would be the time here in January to do that because the draft guide – uh, we have a preseason one. There's a new one coming out somewhat soon. I don't know when. All of our Senior Bowl coverage, Shrine Game coverage, all the good stuff coming out here in the offseason. So go get it. 25% off using the promo code NFLPOD. Specifically for you, our dedicated viewers and listeners. If you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, don't forget to give that thumbs up. Make this thing go viral. We had a big number on uh, Monday. A lot of people came, tuned in to our two-hour two and 45-minute show on Monday mm. when we talked about four games. But it was a lot of great discussion. All right, let's pivot to some off-season stuff here. Um, first up, we posted that poll on the, main, the podcast Twitter account, at Pod, <laughs> Which was what? Which was asking, so a lot of people have suggested for the next charity drive, we should have some kind of dueling, competing Charity drives. You post a GoFundMe, I post a GoFundMe, and two different charities, and we compete to, to see what we're going to get done. Uh, vote, Tyler. You got to vote to see the results. He's not signed in. He's panicking. What? what? Like he's, he's panicking. This is, this is madness. Anyway, don't type in your uh, as of right now password. <laughs> as of right now, the results are eighty-two point two percent. Yes, they are fine with that idea. Even if the one, even if the losing charity simply donates money to a good cause. Like, there's no, like, there's no idiot hat or comedy facial hair or punishment or, you know, slapstick through so a table. So both deal. charities get it, but only so one we punishment. So we, yeah. we run two competing GoFundMes with two competing sales pitches for forfeits or punishments or whatever it is. The one with the most money, that's the one we do. The other one simply gets the money donated to them. So 82.2% of people are in favor of that. Now, that being said, there's only a couple hundred people voted on that because it's that, that account. So go vote if you disagree vehemently. If you don't, if you agree, vote. Either way, vote so we have a better sample size and we, we're more comfortable with the, uh, the answer. I just retweeted the poll so you can get out there and let us know what you want us to do there. All right, so we, we did this last year on Conference Championship Week because the other 28 fan bases – probably don't care about the, the two teams as much mm. right now. They care about the offseason. Call them burning questions. There's don't, a lot of questions don't call them burning. that are just percolating, maybe. Percolating. percolating questions. I don't think that does the same type of uh, SEO numbers, Sam. You think so, there's SEO numbers? That burning, burning questions, because somebody at Bleacher Report's writing a burning questions article, and the SEO is through the roof. All right, enough of this. What are the big questions this offseason? First one has already... You know, we've got more, more fuel for the Aaron Rodgers discussion. Where does he play, and why is it the Denver Broncos? Because they just hired one of the three people that he likes in the world, Nathaniel well, Hackett. I think that the question is still, does he play? Like, the first question is, is Rodgers playing next year? And then, the question, then after that, it's, okay, if he is, where is he playing? Uh, he doesn't want to go out like this. He does not. Like you said, Brady doesn't want to go out like this. Brady can, Brady's going out 
he's been playing with house money for a while. Nobody's going to be like, oh, man, Tom, you really, you really blew it in your last game against the Rams. They're going to be like, Tom, no. you, won, you won seven Super Bowls. You went to 10. You did it with two teams. You did it in the first year with the Buck. Like, Brady's legacy is cemented and good. He can walk away whenever he wants. No, you couldn't have this more ass backwards. Brady is the one guy in the world who can look at his, like, who can look at next season and say, what are the chances I get a Super Bowl ring at the end of this? And be like, I don't know, 60-40, you know? <laughs> you, you think so? Yeah. So Brady, when he's calculating, like, oh, I really don't want to go out like this. I had my ass kicked in that game. We couldn't get anything going. We almost got it back, and then, bam, it went away. I don't want to go out like that. But in order to, to convince myself next year is going to be better – I need to look at that and objectively decide, have we got a good chance of winning next year? Of course he's going to say yes. I always win. This is what I do. I win Super Bowls. That's, what, that's my legacy is the, the two hands worth of Super Bowl rings. Rodgers Rogers at this point is becoming a defeated man. And he's ending up year after year after year falling at the final hurdle. And he's becoming that meme that he was himself earlier in the year. You know, like face first in the turf with the helmet up jacked around his head and the, the wild hair looking like a homeless guy. Like Rodgers is becoming that man right now. Don't homeless shame. And he is looking at the world and being like, I mean, let's be honest, I'm not winning a ring next year. It's the same crap again. I'm going to show up here. See, and our friend and Bob like, Sturm. And he's like, when, you know, he's like, I don't want to be part of a rebuild. He's already, he's already defeated right now. That man is looking at this and going, Our friend Bob Sturm is looking at Aaron Rodgers the opposite. Where he, as I, I tweeted out, you know, if Aaron Rodgers wants to win a Super Bowl, I don't see how moving from the NFC North to the AFC West helps his chances. I agree. I mean, legitimately, if you're just putting odds yes. on it, they, they go down. They get, yeah, they lengthen. Our friend Bob Sturm, part of the Dallas Cowboys media, and you know, does some really good stuff down there in the radio. Bob, he, he was tweeting about, in response to that, like Aaron Rodgers seems like the type of guy where he, he thinks he's the, he's the answer. Like he, that he wouldn't go in and be like, man, I'm not going to play the odds. Like, he's not going to look at the odds and go, oh, I'm going to go to the AFC West. Patrick Mahomes is there and Justin Herbert's there. And it's a lot more difficult than the NFC North that he's actually going to take it as like, I'm the only thing that matters here. I'll carry this team. Who cares? I'll go to the Broncos. We'll be the best team. We'll be the favorites. So he... So his take is that Rodgers is the opposite. He is so confident in himself or not confident or, or, or I want to say he's going to blame everyone around him. But we are a couple years removed from 2019 NFC Championship where Aaron Rodgers is like, man, I wish this thing was in Lambeau. Like that was the thing that they were missing in 2019. The NFC Championship when they got smoked by the 49ers is it wasn't in Lambeau. Well, they've had two NFC Championships in Lambeau. Is Rodgers – and they lost both. Roger's the type of guy who's like, well, it's because I didn't have a number two behind Devontae Adams. It's because it snowed. It's because it was in Lambeau. Like, is he just stacking up these excuses and he's not one of them? And he's not defeated. He's just like, man, give me a better situation. Give me a different situation. I'll go to the AFC West and do it in Denver. Could be the opposite picture that you've painted. Maybe he's not defeated. He's still completely confident. I mean, I could see him... I think he'd be right if he if he looked at Denver's roster and said, I am the difference between this team being where it is right now, like mired in mediocrity, and this team being a legitimate Super Bowl contender. If he believed that, I think he'd be right to. I think he would make that team an immediate Super Bowl contender. But that's not changing your point, which is the road to get there is a hell of a lot tougher. Like, even if you make the Denver Broncos an immediate Super Bowl contender, okay, that just puts you in a pantheon along with Kansas City and Buffalo. And 
even to get to those games, you've got to get past Cincinnati and uh, the Chargers with those two young superstar type of quarterbacks. And, you know, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are probably going to be back next year after all the injuries they dealt with this year. Like, the AFC just becomes an absolute nightmare of a road to make it to the Super Bowl. So even if you propel the Broncos into that top-end contender level, you have a worse chance of making that game than you do if you just stay the hell in Green Bay and play the odds as, like, the, the, the big fish in the small pond. Yeah, I mean, if, if the Packers just keep Aaron Rodgers and franchise tag Devontae Adams... Yes, and they lose some. They're other probably players. in the NFC Championship game again next year. Is that a better starting point? Even if you lose other players and whatever, is that a better starting point than going to Denver? Which on paper with Denver, you've got Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick and everything with and KJ Hamler. Nice situation there, up and coming defense, and your buddy's the head, uh, the, the new head coach, and you know the system. You don't have to deal with that. Um, whether that matters or not, you don't have to deal with a new system if you go to Denver. Is that more? I mean, is that a better starting? Is is Green Bay a better starting point than Denver? Yeah, still probably is. It's a better starting. It's a better starting point simply because a you don't have to change anything, and b the pathway, the path to the Super Bowl is significantly more clear than it is in the AFC. Also, the draft is still upcoming. Like maybe Green Bay can finally throw the guy a wide receiver in the draft. You know, like there's things they can do if they know he's staying. So the Rodgers discussion, that we'll, we'll have plenty of that throughout the offseason. The Brady thing, I think we're both, you're saying he's, he's looking at what can I do next year. I'm saying he's not going to care how he went out that much. I think that's craziness based off everything we know about Tom Brady. <laughs> because if he just keeps, he also knows it took, you know, they had you 10 watched- years in between. Have you watched a second of this, like, man in the arena crap? I've, I've seen enough. This is a man that is, like, still obsessed and mortally wounded to the soul for, like, a year where they just didn't win the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, you're telling me that he's perfectly fine going out in a game where but his, his right tackle got hurt and he has to deal with this, like, unexpected volume of pressure. Got, he, got, he got made to bleed his own blood. And you're telling me he's going to go out like that and be like, eh, I had a good run. No, that man is coming back with a burning fire and torching the, the rest of the league to get another ring. He's also calculated. He also knows that they had 10 years in between Super Bowl championships. Like, uh, like when he was the robotic Belichick disciple, it's like, it's tough to win. It's a, it's a new year every year. It's tough to win every year in this league. He knows how difficult it is to win. He's calculated. And so he's going to come back next year, and they're going to lose in the NFC Championship. And he's going to come back the next year, and they'll lose in the Super Bowl. And they come back the next year, and they finally win it. Then he's going to, like, he's going to go through all this every single year until he wins another Super Bowl. If you think that Tom Brady ever countenances the concept of losing, you have not paid attention to this man's career, ever. That guy doesn't factor in, oh, I could lose. No. He goes out there and he wins. That's what he does. I win, I win enough games to get to the playoffs, I then win the playoffs, I win the Super Bowl, I get another ring, I take the picture, I bounce. That's what he does. (laughs) He's done that really well throughout his career, for sure. Gronk is already talking retirement. Chris Godwin's a free agent. There's a lot of turnover here. Byron Leftwich is going to go take the Jags job, which, by the way, is getting hotter and hotter because he wants Trent Baalke out. Sounds like Adrian Wilson is who Byron Leftwich wants, and they're closing in on an agreement there in Jacksonville. A lot of turnover here. Bruce Arian said he's calling plays if, if Byron leaves. 
So Brady and Bruce have to talk a lot. Bruce probably isn't as nice as Byron, you know? <laughs> Can have the mean coach again. Or Bruce is going to keep, you know, average depth of target's going to be 12 yeah. next year and just keep chucking it down the field. I don't think any of that matters. I, I None think, of that matters. Brady's no. just like, we lost. Losing's unacceptable. We're going to win. Next just, year. Not, not just losing, but losing that way. Like, he knows that if Tristan Wirfs doesn't get hurt, he prize a much better shot of winning that game and going to another Super Bowl and winning another ring and back-to-back. Like, that's – in his brain, he's looking at this and he's like, there's an asterisk attached to this loss. Like, this wasn't on me. This was on a freak injury that showed up in the game before and we just didn't have a chance this year. Next year it'll be different. Next year that guy won't get hurt and I'll be okay. Like – He's not. He's just not going out like this. And the, the like the reasons being thrown around. It's like, oh, you know, my family means a lot to me now, and I, I need to spend. Time. Your family's been there for years. Why all of a sudden is it important you spend time? Right. With he them? all of a sudden is mentioning his family. That's the thing that's changed. No, that's like that's not changing. Like, all right, they've been there for years in the same situation. They don't all of a sudden matter now. Let me ask you this: Brady is a very reflective person, which I think is why he's doing the documentary stuff because he can go backwards right is he the type to go on like a retirement run is he the type to say okay i'm gonna give it one last go this is the year announce it make it a thing, like a retirement tour <laughs> is he a retirement tour type i don't think he is no i don't think many people are like that only ray get- lewis yeah, I mean, I think only it, only Ray Lewis has the ability to make something all about himself. Yeah, you need to be yet that kind still of still rally the team around his own retirement run to win a Super Bowl. Only Ray Lewis. You can need do to that. be a certain level of narcissist to be like, you know, I'm going to make this whole year about my final goodbye. And like, because some people have done it almost by mistake. You know, where they sort of announce it and they hadn't considered that this is what happens, and it just becomes this circus that they spend like an entire year like. In, shirking from and being embarrassed by and be like, yeah. oh, I don't want this every week. I, I think he comes back, gives another shot, and that's, that's it. I mean, if you go by previous things Brady said, uh, I'll know when it's time. I don't want to go out. Yeah, I, I, if I could still play, I want to be able to play. I don't want to watch TV and see guys doing it worse than I can do, which, yeah. you know, that's most of the league. Also so. said he wants to play to 45. Wants to play till he's 45. He's, he's under contract. They set up the contract to, to play at 45 and then go. So all I'm saying is I think the retirement stuff is more real than ever, but I could see him giving it one last go here. Huh. The problem is it will be likely with a lesser roster in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean, maybe. It's going to be less some turnover. Like, it'll they're not, be less stacked. They're not going to do – but remember, this time last year, half the roster was headed to free agency. They brought them all back. Now, they're probably not going to do did, that this and, time. But, but, but I'm saying, I don't know if Gronk's going to be back. He's no. a key part of it still. And I don't know if Godwin's going to be back. not bringing Antonio Brown back, right? Antonio but like, Brown's certainly not going to be back. I'm just saying, they will have some turnover, but it's not like this roster will fall to pieces. They, they have, have young, like, you know, Carlton Davis is a free agent on the defensive side of the ball. They'll, um, they might have a whole new coach there. We'll see what happens with Todd Bowles. It's not, you know, last year was the band was back together. It didn't work. So, we'll see. I mean, it kind of worked. They got... You know, they got deep into the playoffs again. Yeah, it kind of worked. And then that goes right to the Rams thing. Did the Rams succeed? Right. I mean, for them, I don't think yet. They were, they were, this whole thing was like all in, right? That's the term everybody's been using. Matthew Stafford, it's all in for the Super Bowl. So until they get to a Super Bowl, no. The Bucks, like they brought everybody back to try and get to a second one. It didn't happen, but I don't think that makes it a failure. Like they get a pretty good shot at it and were, you know, a few plays away from going again 
PFF forecast lock of the week. Niners plus three. First half versus the Rams. First half. First half plus three. That goes against your uh, Rams starting hot theory. I mean, it's the Rams were up 17 to three at the first half last game. Does that matter? All right. Next burning question. Quote, unquote. What do you got? Uh, We wrote down the Packers putting the franchise tag on Devontae Adams. Kind of coincides with that Rodgers discussion. Adams is the best free agent. Also, but like, does it? I mean, obviously, if Rodgers stays, they want Adams back anyway. But like, let's say Rodgers is gone. You still want Devontae Adams for Jordan Love. Otherwise, he's got nothing. Dude, could you see Adams is 5 million. He wants an APY that's uh, that's up in DeAndre Hopkins territory yeah. which is five million dollars higher than any other receiver right so you're t- Devonte adams if they trade aaron Rodgers, and they're like here jordan loves your new quarterback and we're franchise tagging you not giving you that contract that you want yeah yeah Devonte might sit out the whole season he's not gonna sit out the whole he's season. gonna sit out the whole season no. he's gonna be he's gonna be unhappy but he's gonna he's gonna be extremely unhappy yeah but it's like a guaranteed giant sum of money he's not gonna sit out the year his stock if his stock's never going to be higher hmm. unless he drags Jordan Love to the playoffs or something <laughs> yeah but yeah that that could be could be a rough off season in Green Bay right we thought it would be last year too but they brought back a pretty good squad and but i don't like i don't think they're letting them walk for nothing like you're not just going okay fine we'll take the compensatory draft pick you're going no we like we can't turn away turn the keys over to Jordan Love and give him <laughs> nobody to work with okay You've got the franchise now. Have fun because your leading receivers are Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Alan Lazard. Like these are the guys we've been complaining for years aren't good enough for the greatest quarterback the franchise has ever had to make work. But you are going to live with them as your number one and two. No. Like they're keeping Devontae. All right. Solved. The Chiefs. We'll see what happens this weekend. But if they go to the Super Bowl, you know, Here's the, here's the thing. I don't know that they made all the best decisions last offseason, the Chiefs, where they put 90% of their resources in the offensive line, both financially and from a draft pick standpoint. So far, it's paid off. as far, But they're also, when you have the starting point of Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyreek, as long as those guys are healthy and out there, you've, you, you can make bad moves and still be a good team. The Chiefs, I will continue to say, will would be better off to continue to add to that receiving core and making life really miserable for opposing defenses more than ever. They made all that. They made that big trade for Orlando Brown last year. He's been good. He's a free agent. Are they going to re-sign him at tackle after giving up a first-round pick? Yeah, that, this is the one, because I think this is the move that changes the dynamic of what they've done on the offensive line. They... Obviously, they overhaul the line completely, like five new starters. It's a different offensive line this year than it was last year. And a lot of that was not necessarily of their doing. Like Mitchell Schwartz got hurt, seems to be retired. Like It doesn't look like he's, doesn't look like he's heading back to the league anytime soon. Eric Fisher uh, wrecked his Achilles. It was an Achilles for him as well, right? Not an ACL. Fisher wrecked his Achilles in the AFC Championship games. So you're like, all right, he's not starting the season if he plays he's probably not playing as well um and then the interior was in flux so they revamped the entire thing and they threw massive money at joe tooney having apparently tried to make a run at trent williams but because they got two rookies 
They got Creed Humphrey in the third round, right? And then they got Trey Smith in the sixth? I think it was second and sixth. Second and sixth. Second for Creed. Oh, so bottom of the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah gotcha. 63rd or whatever. Um, yep. So because they got those two guys in the mid to late rounds, they're, like the dollar figure that they have attached to the offensive line is still pretty small, even with Joe Tooney's massive contract like inflating it. That changes, though, if and when you have to hand Orlando Brown like a, mo- a monster left tackle contract. Like that suddenly becomes, all right, now we've got a unit that we are pumping a ton of money into. And that, coupled with Mahomes' half-billion-dollar contract, is when you start to feel a squeeze somewhere else, right? Now it isn't because, okay, all you really gave up was the first-round pick. But the, the reason that the first-round pick was a, an, an interesting-slash-questionable call is because it came with the inevitability that, okay, if he plays well and he justifies what you gave up for him, you're now a year away from having to hand him a monster sum of money, and that changes everything. So Orlando Brown, I think he justified the pick. Like He, he was like, I want to play left tackle. I believe I can play at that level just as well as I can play at right tackle. That's where his dad played. That's where he wanted to play. So he, went to, he played left tackle, and he was good. He, I think, started the season relatively roughly, but after, like, the first month, really picked it up. And uh, started rough because he had the Miles Garrett game, right? He went right. up against Miles Garrett again, who uh, makes a lot of people look silly. Yeah, so I, I think overall he's been, he's been as good at left tackle as he ever was at right tackle. So from that point of view, I think he's justified that first-round pick, but was he good enough that you want to make him, like, top five paid left tackle in the NFL? I would say no, but then if you don't, now you got to find a left tackle and you just set fire to a first-round pick. Orlando Brown, 13th in PFF War. That's our wins above replacement metric, all part of PFF IQ, exclusively NFL teams that are listening. Um, but also War over the last three seasons. Orlando Brown's third. Uh, war is a, a, a cumulative stat. So playing well for a longer period of time is how you you know create more value for your team. So Orlando Brown... Um, not on a per-season basis, he hasn't been a top-three tackle, but over the last three years, it's because you know, Trent Williams missed a year and things like that. Third most valuable tackle in the NFL using war. On a per-season basis, it's close. You know, he's, he's fifth. So if you are going to pay him top-five offensive tackle money, he actually has been returning that kind of value. But then the question does become, if you, if you, if you have that much money in left tackle and left guard, even with the other rookies there, can you get that wide receiver three that you, that would be wide receiver two, really wide receiver three, uh, option three, option four in this passing attack that's going to keep you at the top of the heap as the Kansas City Chiefs? So that's one of the burning questions this offseason that we'll be discussing over and over again, I'm sure. And uh, we'll see if the last two games of the season dictate this as well. Right. The point I made before the Super Bowl last year is if Mahomes gets crushed behind this offensive line, it's going to dictate how they build around him. And it did. We'll see if something like that happens here in the coming weeks. Um, other stuff, you've got the Eagles with three first-round picks. You've got the yeah. Deshaun Watson stuff. You have all of the QB movement, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. Uh, everything's there. Of course, Rodgers, who we already mentioned, but and QB the Eagles, carousel in general. The Eagles appear to have sort of hitched their wagon to Jalen Hurts, at least judging by what Harry Roseman has been saying. Like he's saying, Oh, you're... You wouldn't come out now and say he'll be the starter next year if you were on the fence about it. Sure you would. Why? Because he's the quarterback on the football team right now. He's the starter, yes. But now, like, there's literally nothing it can affect now. When like, I'm a GM, The games Sam, have finished. I would, I would fool you so much. I would, I would fool you 
you'd be on my staff, so I wouldn't fool you. You'd be with me doing social media. But I would fool the media so we could, people like you. When you say fool, you mean lie to. That's not a lie. That's how is that not a lie? Because he positioned it like, yeah, I mean, right now, going into the he said, I think it was going into the offseason, Jalen Hurts is our starting quarterback. Of course he is. He, he was fairly declarative that Jalen Hurts will be the starting quarterback next year. No, I don't think so. Yes. And I don't, there's no reason to say that now unless it's true. Because if you went out and. Sure, you, there is. No, no, no. There's literally no reason. Like, yes, yes, there is. There are no games. So you can't, like, upset Jalen Hurts because to the point you where have it three first round picks and there's other teams that want quarterbacks. So? And they don't. And because a big part of the draft is knowing the other people's hand. Are they going to draft a quarterback? I don't know. Do we have to trade up? Do we have to leapfrog this? Do we wait? Whatever. The Eagles are in the mix. For Malik Willis and Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett, of course they're in that discussion. Why? <laughs> because, because they can be. Okay. Because they have three first-round picks. Yeah. So you're just, you're just going to buy into what he said. Yeah, yeah, Jalen Hurts is our guy. There's no way they're going to draft a quarterback. They're not going to trade for Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson if those guys become available. Nope. They said Jalen Hurts is the guy. I'm buying it. I don't think there is no way that they do anything different. No, you bought it. But I think that you buy. I think their plan is for Jalen Hurts to be the starting quarterback next year, and then for, for them to use those three first-round picks on things other than quarterbacks. Well, we'll see. I, my my feeling is I would lean that way too, but I don't think it's based. It's not based off of press conferences. I mean, this isn't 100 percent based off a of press conference either. Based off but what they that's what they're deciding to do. Well, the Eagles have a chance for a franchise-defining draft. Uh, the Dolphins are interesting, too. Once they hire a head coach, sounds like Brian Dable might be close there. Does Dable, you know, who developed Josh Allen, the moldable piece of clay that is Josh Allen, going to get this closer to a finished product to a, and say, what can, you know, how does he develop that? What, what happens there? These questions imagine, are burning. Like, just imagine, <laughs> you're going from this, like, Adonis quarterback, right? Here's this six foot five, 250-pound freak show over here who we've just chiseled from marble into being the perfect NFL quarterback right now. And over here, we've got Tua, who, you know, isn't. Let's, do the, let's run the same said, playbook. Let's run the same numbers I on liked, that. We liked Tua better coming out. Yeah. Thought that his production would translate a little bit better. Doesn't mean that it won't. Jimmy G comp, still out there. You can win with a Jimmy G. We're seeing it. You got a Shanahan like offense. Can Dable be that guy? Maybe in Miami. We'll see if he end up ends up getting the job. Burning question. Okay, here's the other, one last big question this offseason. This is gonna be a good one. Who's gonna be the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers next year? They can't go with Rudolph, right? No, I think this is gonna look like here's what's gonna happen. Remember in New England a couple years ago, it was like they didn't have a quarterback, and they didn't get a guy in free agency, and it was like, all right, I guess it's time to dive into the Jarrett Stidham tape, right? Like, Jarrett Stidham's the next guy. You know, they handpicked him in the fourth round. Mm. He was the replacement for Tom Brady. So let's dive into Jarrett Stidham preseason tape and, uh, and talk about him. He's the quarterback for the Patriots going forward. And then they finally signed Cam Newton and then eventually drafted Mac Jones later. There'll probably be a point where it gets in the offseason where it's like, I guess it's Mason Rudolph. Maybe it's Mason Rudolph, but it won't be. I don't think it'll be Mason Rudolph. It can't be. Like, you, you, you just you can't do that. It'll be somebody in free agency. Doesn't it feel like they're the kind of team that would like – because they're, they're, remember, this team 
hasn't had a losing record since they drafted Ben Roethlisberger. Like, that was the last bad season, essentially, that they had, which put them in a position to draft Ben Roethlisberger in the first place. Now, he's walking away, but not off the back of a season that was bad enough to let them get his replacement in the draft. They're not, they don't have that high prick. So unless, unless they love one of these guys in this weird draft and one of them sort of falls far enough that they're like, all right, it's worth a shot late in the first round. Um, unless that's the situation, and I don't see them being the type of team that makes like a monster trade happen for a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers or whatever, they're the kind of team that like, yeah, you know, Marcus Mariota might be a thing. We could make that happen for a year or two and then like desperately try and find something better. But I think Mariota might be the, the right option for but That's them. what I'm saying. Like yeah. they, just because they're in that spot where they don't Aren't, have an obvious fix. Don't they also feel like the team that's like, we're the Pittsburgh Steelers. How do we do things historically? Well, we have uh, a center who starts for 10 years at a time. So you draft a center in the first round and he's our starter forever. We, we have Dermani Dawson and we've got you know Webster and we've got uh, Marquise Pouncey. That's what we do. Do they feel like they're the team that like drafts a quarterback and then keeps them for 18 years? And so that this is the year, right? We need a new quarterback. We draft Kenny Pickett, and he's going to be our guy for the next 15 to 18 years because that's what we do with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Local fella. Yeah, because he's local or whatever. And we've seen that he could play in Heinz Field, and that's important, right? Even though he's got the teeny hands and has to throw with gloves on. That also feels like the Pittsburgh Steelers sometimes. Maybe, all right, time to draft a quarterback. This year we draft a quarterback, and he's going to be our guy. Maybe it might be the it, that might be it, but that'll be that'll be burning this off season. Let us know what do you think of your burning questions. We have plenty of off season time to discuss all of them. I can't wait for my favorite episodes where we fix every team in five minutes. It's going to be great. Five minutes over the course of four shows. Air quotes. And five. forty. It might be an hour per show. The the person that suggested that we do a twenty four hour marathon fixing every team. I don't even know if that's enough time. Yeah, like we you, should do like a monster marathon eight hour show. You said, you know, they, they say that like a joke, but when you actually parse that out, what it is per team, yeah, it's, it's really not that much. Like, could we sit here and break down a team's depth chart for Easily. 45 minutes a piece? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, the actual covering that amount of time would not be the problem. Like, lasting 24 hours sitting in the chair, you know, here's what I think. And being able to talk might be the problem. Should we do one? monster episode full day eight hours go through the team we get we get jeff rubies in here we get jeff rubies in here so we can eat it's, it's really laid back we're gonna eat i want i want the i would only do it if i can get jeff rubies big old seafood platter thing that they delivered to college game day when they came by here hmm. so if rubies takes care of us maybe get another sponsor for the show then i'll go I'll go eight hours. We'll go eight hours. We'll sit here all day, eat some lobster and shrimp, and uh, and just chat. You know, talk some ball, and fix every team in one big monster super episode. All right, you make that happen then. All right, would you do it if I made that happen? I'm there, just throwing eight need, hours. I mean, it would like we do like a like a super show. There'd need to be a lot of nice food. So we get a lot of nice food. We do a super show. Do we chop it up? We could chop it up later, maybe into multiple episodes or whatever. Or we or just keep it in one. Well, then what's the point? Otherwise, you just stitch together all of our eight episodes and be like, there it was. Yeah, true. Okay, so one big – maybe we have some guests. We have the PFF folks cycle through. We get, we get other takes. Well, we just need, like – we need to build in enough time to go to the bathroom. 
during the eight hours? I mean, we did day three NFL coverage. We did eight to ten hours, didn't we? Did yeah. Like ten hours that day. So maybe we do that. We do. We'll do a monster super show. Yeah. I mean, look, you bring the lobster and the seafood and the steak. You know, the the Collinsworth. What was that with the crab and stuff on it? No, no, that's the burrow. Oh, that's the burrow. Collinsworth, Collinsworth has his own stuff. I don't like the stuff that's on Chris's. What steak. is it? I thought I that was. I don't crab. know. I just no. I don't. I prefer just my steak. I mean, that's a without bold, something on it. It's a bold attitude I for would, a man that works for Chris Collinsworth. I mean, Chris is great. It's his birthday, by the way. Is Happy it? birthday, so Chris. Happy birthday, boss. Did you see the tweet? I didn't. They threw his uh, the combine photo back out there. Oh. Yeah. What did he weigh in at the combine? Like 190? I don't know. Not that, much. 6'5", 190 <laughs> at the combine? It's, uh, it's Brady-esque. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's worse than Brady because, like, Brady was just, you know, almost dad bod-like, whereas Chris is just, there's nothing to him at the combine. Uh-oh. Is Tyler throwing it Tyler's on the screen? Wor- Tyler's working here. <laughs> Find the PFF account. The boss is, uh, happy birthday, Chris. Yes. It's 40th birthday. It's pretty, you know, it's a big, big milestone for Chris here. Turning 40. Anyway, we're done here. We did some off-season stuff. We previewed the games. We will be back. We will be back on uh, Monday morning reviewing all the games. And uh, then, again, we're back in uh, full off-season mode in between, in between championship week and the Super Bowl. There it is. There's Chris. Yeah. It's a good look. 1981. He's pretty cut. Does he have uh, an earpiece in? Like, was he already? I think that's just the wall behind him. Oh, okay. Looks like he's got a IFB in there. Like, he's already getting ready for the announcing career. Yeah, I doubt that's what. But it he was. had a good receiving career first. Okay. Happy birthday to the boss. The Collinsworth steak has red king crab, asparagus, uh, bordelaise, and bernays. Those yeah, that's. Two. I don't. I wouldn't want that on my steak. Huh. He doesn't have crab. Does he? I thought just Burrow had crab. Red King crab. You're reading it. Okay, yeah, crab's good. Yeah, I'm looking at the menu, so. What's the Burrow? The Burrow is uh, 14 ounces of blackened shrimp Creole crawfish sauce. Oh, it's the crawfish. Yeah, I would try the Burrow probably over the Collinsworth. I would also just grab like a nice, how's the the tomahawk ribeye look over there? Uh, Give me a tomahawk ribeye and I'm happy. I don't see that one. Anyway, I'll take the filet. Just take a plain filet. The uh, the dry rub at Ruby's is is wonderful. Have you tried that yet? I have. I, I tried it the other day. I, I had uh, I made I had two steaks in a packet, so I made one after the after the games, um, and then I had the second one left over. At that point, it's on. A, it's a ticking time. You know, you got x amount of time before things just goes bad. So I had like a steak sandwich for lunch the next day. I think where you just you know slice it up, wrap it, yeah. fry it up, and I used your uh, I used the the dry rub spice for that. Yeah, it's good. It's good, right? Yeah, yeah. It's great. It'll, you know, it'll last you. Hopefully, it's good. It's a good gift by me. I think it was. Well Appreciate done. It. Yeah, yeah. glad you liked it. Anyway, all right, we're done here. Yes, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. Let us know if you want a super show where we fix your team at some point, and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks to everybody. Enjoy the weekend of games. We'll see you Monday morning.